There are 14 generations from Abraham to David. That's just one of three sections we're going to be talking about as we open up the book of Matthew today. In September 19th, this is an amazing time to begin the New Testament. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And we are taking you through the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. And this is very exciting. Corey and Ryan are here. Corey. I'm going to be taking a look at the Magi from Matthew chapter 2. Ryan? Today, my segment is all about Joseph, but I'm not just talking about Mary's husband, but all of the Josephs in the Bible. It's very, very interesting as we begin the New Testament. Janice, what did you do? Well, today I'm going to talk about family. All right. So we have a lot to talk about. They're coming up in about 15 minutes. Janice is coming up in about 17 minutes, and we're going to be teaching on this in about three minutes or maybe a little bit less. So stay there and let's open our Bibles and open up and listen, open up our hearts and listen to the Lord. Matthew 1, 1 through 17. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab, Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam, Rehoboam begot Abijah, and Abijah begot Asa. Asa begot Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat begot Joram, and Joram begot Uzziah. Uzziah begot Jotham, Jotham begot Ahaz, Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh, Manasseh begot Ammon, and Ammon begot Josiah. Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Shealtiel, and Shealtiel begot Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel begot Abihud. Abihud begot Eliakim, and Eliakim begot Azor. Azor begot Zadok. Zadok begot Achim, and Achim begot Elihud. Elihud begot Eleazar. Eleazar begot Methan, and Methan begot Jacob. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are fourteen generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are fourteen generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are fourteen generations. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. 
Today we begin the New Testament of the Bible. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew is the first, and Matthew is the first of four Gospels that greets us as we move through the New Testament. Through Matthew, likely it was not the first Gospel written, though it does have a very strong connection to the Old Testament, and so makes sense to come first. Matthew purposefully presents the life of Jesus as he fulfills the prophecies of Messiah, the promised king of the Old Testament. Now, this gospel will teach us about Christ and challenge the way that we see and apply the Old Testament or the original Testament of prophecies of God. Right off the bat, Matthew greets us with a lineage tracing Jesus' line back to the Davidic covenant, and the Abrahamic covenant. Now, the book of genealogies of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Using a style of the time of Matthew, he arranges this genealogy of Christ into 14s to emphasize Jesus' connection to David. It is a demonstration of how Matthew will teach us in both obvious and more subtle ways. Now, as we begin this particular passage, we need to understand that we are dealing with the arrival of Messiah. Matthew comes at this place or comes to this point with an emphasis on the lineage. And I find that fascinating. It is absolutely stunning. Today, according to Matthew, is what we read. Take your Bible guide and turn to it. If you don't have a Bible guide, you can simply Call us or write to us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and click on it, and it will take you to a donate page. Thank you very much for your donations at this time. The Bible is God's word. It is strong. That's what we believe. That's what we teach. And because of your support, we can continue to teach it. Every year from the 66 book, Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, we will continue as long as we have the ability that God gives us to do this and to continually take care of the airtime and everything else. So thank you so much for your donations. But then it takes you to a place where you can download the Bible guide exactly how we printed it. So it's good. Today, according to Matthew, let's begin by praying and say, Father, in Jesus' wonderful name, we come to you and we ask that your Holy Spirit speaks to us. Lord, we understand that we have ideas. We understand that we have opinions. We understand that we live in a world that promotes self-decision. But at the same time, Lord, we also recognize that our citizenship is in heaven and that we are obligated through the following of Jesus Christ to allow your Holy Spirit to take control. So Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would take control and that we would learn from the Bible, the words of the Holy Spirit, what we're to hear in the name of Jesus Christ. And we said together, amen and amen. Now, with that in mind, let's go into the New Testament. Here is what the Bible says, the very first of the Gospels. The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez, Perez Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram, and Ram begot Aminadab, and Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon, 
Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been with wife of Uriah. This is fascinating. Front off. First thing it said in the New Testament. There are 14 generations from Abraham to David. 14. God has provided, and this is the point, God has provided Messiah through the lineage of Abraham. God has provided Messiah through the lineage of Abraham. We used to sing a song in church. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. As we go marching through, and we'd sing this song about Father Abraham, and we recognize that God himself comes from Abraham through David. Now, this is very important to keep in mind. So let's go on and read about the next 14 generations. So the Bible says in Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 7, Solomon begot Rehoboam, and Rehoboam begot Abijah, and Abijah begot Azza, and Azza begot Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat begot Joram, and Joram begot Uzziah, and Uzziah begot Jotham, and Jotham begot Ahaz, and Ahaz begot Hezekiah, Hezekiah begot Manasseh, Manasseh begot Amnon, Ammon begot Josiah, one of my favorite kings, Josiah begot Jeconia and his brothers about the time that they were carried away to Babylon. What do we surmise from this? There are 14 generations from David until the captivity of Judah in Babylon. Now listen carefully. God's Messiah understood what it meant to be captive. Jesus Christ understands what it means for us to be captive, beloved. We need to understand that. We need to realize that. That the Lord is not somebody who comes from, you know, vast greatness but he understands our position, beloved. Keep that in mind. This is Jesus Christ. This is God. Now with that in mind, we go to the final 14. Watch this. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconia begot Sheltiel, and Sheltiel begot Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel begot Abuaid. Abuaid begot Elekim, and Elekim begot Azor. Azor begot Zadok, Zadok begot Akim, and Akim begot Eluid. Eluid begot Eliezer, Eliezer begot Methihan, and Methihan begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, or Yeshua, who is called the Christ. Also, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity of Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity of Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. What are we to make of this? There are 14 generations from the post-exile until Joseph. Carefully consider this. Messiah came from a humble beginning, beloved. Messiah comes from a humble beginning. You know, he doesn't come from someplace so vast and so big that you can't relate to it. He understands where we are, where I am, where you are. 
These are beginnings of Messiah. He understands humility. Very, very important. So, Father, I pray today that we would not get the wrong idea about Jesus. He is divine. There is no question he is you. But, Lord, we understand that you you get it. It, no, No matter how low we are, you've been there. So help us to realize that, Lord. You are a God who recognizes the humility of all people. So thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you clap and when you get excited, you are celebrating life. Do you understand that? Jesus Christ gave us life. But he promised that the Holy Spirit would be sent. Okay, so in today's reading, we're introduced to a man named Joseph. And he was, of course, the husband of Mary and legal father of Jesus. And my segment today is in part about him. But it's also about all of the Josephs in the Bible. And by my count, there are some 14 men in the Bible with this name. And the three most well-known to us is the Joseph we read about in the last several chapters of Genesis, Joseph the husband of Mary, and Joseph of Arimathea. But I'm sure that you're wondering who the 11 others were. So let's find out. Joseph. It's a name that means, may the Lord add more sons. And though some are more well-known than others, the fact is there are some 14 Josephs named in Scripture. The Bible's first and most famous of the Old Testament Josephs was the 11th born son of the patriarch Jacob. But as the firstborn son of Jacob's favorite wife Rachel, Joseph was naturally the favored son of his father. This favoritism ultimately drove his envious brothers into selling him into Egyptian slavery. But what Satan meant for evil, God turned to good. For God had instilled in Joseph the divine gift of interpretation. This, coupled with his unwavering faithfulness to God, eventually provided him the opportunity to become a very powerful leader in Egypt, second only to Pharaoh himself. Through the providence of God, this position of authority allowed Joseph to provide a home in Egypt for his estranged family, saving them from starvation and ultimately preserving the messianic line. Significantly, it would be yet another Joseph who would be intimately involved in the Messiah's birth. And even though not a great deal is known about him, as the legal father of Jesus Christ and Mary's husband, he is easily the most well-known of the New Testament Josephs, and probably of all scripture. Not only did he, as a son of David, provide Jesus the legal right to the throne, but as a good and godly man, his role as Jesus' father was critical. And just as this Joseph was intimately involved in Jesus' birth and early development, so too would it be yet another Joseph who was intimately involved in his death and burial. Considered to be the third most famous Joseph of the Bible, Joseph of Arimathea was at first a secret disciple of Jesus. Indeed, as an honored member of the Sanhedrin, his exposure as a follower of the way would most likely end his illustrious career. But his love for the Lord's Christ outweighed his religious status, and in the end went full disclosure as he courageously took the body of Jesus and buried it in his own tomb. Besides these three, there are many other Josephs in the Bible, though none of them is well known. 
For example, in Numbers chapter 13, one of the twelve chosen Israelite spies is Ilgal, whose father's name is Joseph. And according to 1 Chronicles 25, Joseph was also the name of the son of the renowned musician Asaph. Again, in Ezra 10, we read of another Joseph, this one a descendant of Binuai. And in Nehemiah 12, there is a Joseph who is the head of the priestly family of Shechaniah. There are also a handful of Josephs in the New Testament as well. In fact, one of them was Jesus' own brother. And Matthew and Mark name yet another Joseph, but this one unrelated to Jesus. Again, we read that after Christ's ascension, two men were nominated to replace Judas, Matthias and Joseph. Also in Acts 4, we read of a Levite from Cyprus named Joseph, whom the apostles affectionately called Barnabas. In addition to these, there are three men within Mary's husband Joseph's genealogy who were also named Joseph. These include Joseph the son of Mattathias, Joseph the son of Judah, and Joseph the son of Jonam. Okay, so that was just a really brief survey of all the Josephs of the Bible, and I hope that you'll take time on your own to really dig into each of these men's accounts. Now, of course, it's true that for some of them, their name is all that we have, but what the Bible does tell us is very significant. For example, as I showed in this segment, it, it is very notable that it was a Joseph who saved the nation of Israel from starvation and ultimately preserved the Messianic line. And then it would be another Joseph who would be intimately involved in Jesus Christ's physical birth and growth. And yet another Joseph who would be intimately involved in his burial arrangements. And just for the record, Jesus didn't stay there in the tomb. He rose again on the third day. That we can be absolutely sure of. Make no mistake, he is alive and he is well, and he is coming back very soon. But this time, he's not coming as a sacrifice for the world, but to rule the world as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So if you haven't put your trust in Jesus and his work on the cross, then I really implore you to do it right now. Do it while he can be found in this time of grace. There's no time to waste. It's really important to remember that because as we focus on Christ in the New Testament, we are presenting him as Lord exactly how he has presented himself. And he's risen from the dead in the flesh. And so he's as close as the mention of his name. Thank you, Ryan. And you just call on Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, I need you in my heart. Forgive me of my sin. I, I, I can't help it. And, and let me just stop here and say, I can't help it either. I'm a sinner saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And then we pray again and we say, Lord, come and be the Lord of my life in the name of Jesus Christ. And we said together, amen. That's very very important. Very good. All right, Corey. All right. Well, who doesn't love a good mystery? I don't know about you, but I am a sucker for a good mystery novel, uh, a good enigmatic prehistory excavation in which there's no written record to decipher the physical remains, stuff like that. A good, a good biblical mystery when the Bible gives us names or a brief description of something with no further explanation. Because it's the possibilities that intrigue us, isn't it? We know there's an answer, even if the possibility of us uncovering such an answer is slim to none. So many of us love to try. Such is the case with the Magi of Matthew's gospel, right? In chapter two, they're given a pretty prominent space in the nativity narrative of Matthew, but they aren't fully explained, are they? Their history isn't given, the details of their journey isn't explained, their country isn't given, or even the reason for their choice of gifts. 
And so it's really to be expected that all sorts of ideas and stories about the Magi have popped up not just today, but from almost the earliest of Christians. And there are two main stories that I'd like to highlight for us today, an ancient one and a modern one. Now, the ancient one is called The Revelation of the Magi, and it's not the only one, but it's one we're going to focus on today. It's experienced a resurgence of interest in it uh, due to a translation that was done of it in 2010. Now, it's known to us today from only one surviving manuscript housed in the Vatican, an 8th century book written in Syriac. And though the surviving copy is from the 8th century, the story itself is believed to have been written in the early 3rd century. And a Latin summary of the story is known from a 5th century Christian commentary on Matthew. But anyway, this revelation of the Magi is an inventive Christian story that aims to give a theological message by utilizing the concept of God revealing the Christ to those from pagan nations. Now, the details that the early authors uh, chose and decided to fill in the gaps with are really interesting, sometimes a little bit weird, if we're going to be honest. Now, in this story... There are 12 plus magi, which makes a lot of sense. Our tradition of three magi comes purely from the number of gifts that the Bible says they brought, right? Three of them, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But the number of magi is simply not given in the gospel. And surely a delegation of any group of people traveling from far would be a party of more than three people. Now, in the revelation of the magi, the magi are also said to come from the land of Shur, which based on readings from other ancient documents was basically modern China. Other early and later Christian sources instead point to Persia or Babylon for the origin of the Magi. But these Magi in the story are descendants of Seth, son of Adam, and have preserved his special prophecies about the Messiah in a mountainous cave for all of those thousands of years. And the star of the Nativity Count is, for lack of a better word here, a shape-shifting Christ child that appears only to them in a vision of a star. It's interesting. But this version of the story was not adopted by the church, and it may not have been meant to. It clearly had a theological purpose, much like many books that are written today, but may have been clearly written as pious fiction, a lot like many books written today. Okay, so now on to a more modern take. When we look at Matthew's overall themes, I think it's possible to extract a probable reason that Matthew included the account of the Magi. And as fun as I think it is, I don't think he included it so that we could speculate on their ancestry, their country, motivations, or divine visions. I think it actually makes more sense that Matthew included the account of the Magi to further shame his generation, the very people who would see the Christ, experience his miracles and teachings, and yet still choose to reject him. In Matthew's nativity, we see a lot of unexpected things, a lot of irony. The Magi, who evidently didn't know the scriptures because they don't know where the Messiah is supposed to be born, they go to Jerusalem to ask Herod where to go. The chief priests and scribes are taken by surprise. They know the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem, but God hasn't given them a sign. The people who should be ready for the Messiah, because not only are they God's chosen people, they're the teachers of the scriptures. They have all the knowledge necessary. They aren't ready for him. The people who have the head knowledge of the scripture have wasted it. Instead, God has chosen to reveal himself to those who are foolish in terms of their understanding of the scriptures. The magi who should be seen as fools 
are elevated to wise men because of the calling and the mercy of God. Very good, Corey. That is excellent. Uh, interesting. Janice? Yes. Well, today I wanted to talk about family because as we begin in the New Testament, we read Matthew and he gives the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And it made me get to thinking about family and the importance of family. And, um, it wasn't a couple of Sundays ago that Ryan and Corey, you were talking to my dad, your papa, about some of your great-grandfathers and your great-great-grandfathers and great-great-grandmothers and a little bit about their stories and their testimonies and, and the things that they were involved in in life. And it's very interesting, is it not, to find out about your history. And so I just thought it was fascinating to be able to take a look at the lineage of Jesus Christ and to remember the value of family. And that's who we are. We are representative of a family around the table, getting into God's word. And perhaps you have a family of believers as well. That's wonderful. Maybe you're the only one in your family who's a believer. Well, isn't it wonderful that the fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ, our churches and our fellowship, we are called brothers and sisters. And our heavenly father is, of course, God in heaven. And so... I think that we need to just reflect on that today um, and thank God for the opportunity to become brothers and sisters. And I want to invite you to something. And I know I'm talking very fast, but I want to invite you something. It's something that we haven't done before. It's an in-person event that's going to be coming up on October the 21st in Brampton, Ontario at a very special church, Faith Gospel Tabernacle. And we're going to be there from one o'clock till 5.30. So if you live in Ontario, Canada, or anywhere around, we want to welcome you to join us. And if you would like to register or find out more information, you can go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com forward slash register. And you can find out invitation, uh, how to register for this event. It's free of charge. Free of charge. And so uh, uh, if you want to do that, go ahead and, and check that out. Now we get ready to go into the New Testament. I'm very, very excited about this. Of course, I've been preparing it, writing it for the last several uh, months, but it's good because God has spoken. And Father, I pray today, all of us pray that you would tweak our hearts to hear what you're saying today, because Lord, you are speaking right now. And as we watch the news and see everything else, we understand, Lord, that what you're doing is very important. So help us to hear you in Jesus' name. Amen. 